Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today's April 16th, 2019. I am your host, Eric Clark. Thanks for tuning in to, to the podcast, to the Where to Hunt podcast. Thanks so much. Uh, did another live broadcast. Uh, I say it like it's like it's a new thing. It, it kind of still is. Uh, it's not going anywhere. If you're wondering how to participate in the live listener broadcast and if you would like to call in and participate and talk to our guests and be a part of the show and hear yourself on this podcast uh, every Tuesday at um, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We will go live on Facebook and also now on YouTube. So in either environment, you can watch the podcast as it happens and have a chance to interact and engage with our guests, either via the phone or in the comment section. Um, as always, your feedback and ratings mean everything to me. This is a sponsor-free podcast at the moment. Um, we are doing a test pilot with Common Hunter out of Michigan. So if you'd like to get some cool hunting gear at a great price if you're a common hunter head on over to commonhunter.com and enter in the code where the number two the word hunt where to hunt and you're going to get 15 percent off of any of their equipment so we're just testing that out to see if it's going to be effective and to help our audience out so it's a win-win for everybody um, on today's show we bring on exodus trail cameras um, great guest chad sylvester who shares the same name as my grandfather, which is super awesome. At least his last name anyways. His last name is my my papa's first name. So super cool, easy to remember. I didn't mess up the last name. Y'all will be proud of me on that one. In any event, uh, I'll go ahead and bring him on, and I hope everyone enjoys. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast. This is the live listener broadcast show, your show. So um, there's a number at the bottom of the screen. Feel free to call in and join the conversation. Today with me on the line, I have Chad Sylvester with Exodus Trail Camps. They're out of Ohio. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to uh, to jump on here and chat a little bit. This is, uh, as, as we talked a little bit earlier, this is the first for a live broadcast, but uh, it's a pretty cool concept. So excited to see where the taller conversation takes us. Yeah, same. Same. Why don't we uh, start off by just having you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so um, as you said, my name is Chad Sylvester. I am co-founder, co-owner of Exodus Outdoor Gear, which is essentially Exodus Trail Cameras. Um, we started this company back in 2015, uh, really out of a necessity um, of what we were going through as consumers, just being frustrated from you know jumping from brand to brand and um, not having you know, just experiencing failure with products and then not really having a company um, to willing to go the extra mile to back, uh, back their products up or service their products. So it's essentially frustration, I guess, is where the idea of Exodus was really born. Um, but prior to that, you know, I, my background is in civil engineering and telecommunications. Um, I grew up in a pretty rural area. Um, I had a chance to go to college, pursue a Division One athletic career, and then uh, never really wanted to never really wanted to pursue a like a normal nine to five. Always had an entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, come from a, um, a family of business people, businessmen, I should say. So, you know, sitting in a, sitting in an office uh, every day working for the man um, just never really fit my fit my style. So, you know, when when the idea of Exodus came to be 
it was really a no-brainer for me to kind of jump in uh, feet first and sink or swim. So your background in civil engineering and, and what was it, network? Uh, telecommunications, telecom. So I worked for a and e firm um, that managed build-out projects for Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, uh, T-Mobile and some smaller regional carriers, you know, across uh, across the United States. Um, so that that span took me, oh, I guess, it was three or four years. Um, and actually, was still working there while we started Exodus. And then, uh, you know, as the company started to scale a little bit, we uh, I took the endeavor to you know go full time, full time here. That's wild, man. That's um, from an entre- entrepreneurial standpoint. That's one huge question as to how to make that proverbial leap and, and jump into that boat, you know, before it's so close to the dock. Um, my uh-huh. hat's off to you on making that leap, man. That's incredible for starters. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's really just about being practical when you can when you can replace your income from you know your whatever that entrepreneurial business pursuit is, and you, you know you take the leap. I think sometimes people get too ambitious. Um, and maybe overzealous and take that leap a little bit early. And then it can cause all kinds, obviously financial stress, personal stress, stress at home. So as long as you're practical, practical about it, um, it makes that, it makes that leap a whole lot safer, <laughs> easier. Yeah, no, that's the practicality of it is the right way to go. It's, um, I like that topic because that's something I'm trying to do currently, you know, with the podcast and, and we have an app and, and all that too. So to me, that's really actually very interesting. Um, we'll, I could spend probably a whole, a whole show on just that. Um, but we'll, we'll segue into like the, the product design. You know, the, the one reason I reached out to you, um, you know, to Exodus was, first of all, you guys aren't that old in the marketplace. You, you're, you're five years young or not even. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, we launched in 2015. The idea was actually born in 2014, um, which halfway through 2014, you know, the concept of the first product was being conceptualized, uh, but we actually did not come to market until 2015. So um, May next month would mark our four-year anniversary uh, in the marketplace. Wow. And so and, and where you're sitting right now, I did change the, the, the video FYI for those watching and for yourself. There was getting some audio feedback and like a, a endless echo. So before I did switch that a moment ago, your background, like your Exodus out, you got the hat, the shirt, um, the antlers in the back, the, the wall painted Exodus, like your ability to have made such a splash in the hunting community with such a great product. You know, um, from a marketing standpoint, it's super polished and it comes off great. But that being said, the, the product market fit and the product design behind what you actually have solving that that problem that you recognized has clearly made an impact. There's very few people that do not know your your name. Um, so maybe talk about that just a little bit insofar as like, how did you guys come to be such a force in such a small amount of time? Well, the baseline or the heart of that is the business model. Um, being consumer direct, being able to leverage e-commerce and the power of the web, um, not only for advertising and brand awareness, um, uh, customer acquisition, all of that, it allows us to be a lot more cost competitive when you're looking at some of the larger brands and how they're spending uh, how they're spending their their ad budget. Um, 
So by do by being consumer direct, not only leveraging the, the e-commerce and the web, it allows us just to simply spend more money on the physical product to produce a better product, and then you know being able to retail them uh, straight straight from straight from us with no middleman allows us to stay cost competitive, and that is the sole reason we're able to offer a five-year warranty uh, to have those the hardware components and the design of our physical product to exceed 60 months lifespan, and then being able to service the end customer and not a box store um, and really keeping our finger on the pulse of what the consumers are using, what they need, what problems they have, um, and then take that feedback in and you know continue to grow our, our product lineup uh, as we have the last four years. So as far as where people can actually get your product, for those that don't know, and I, to me, honestly, I think that's a, that's very, a very select few. But when you say direct-to-consumer, quite literally, is, is online the only place then where people can actually buy the product? That is correct. So we, we, uh, we have three sales channels. Um, the primary sales channel for Exodus is our website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. We, we are an authorized seller on Amazon, on Amazon Marketplace. So you can also purchase our products on Amazon. And then we do also um, travel during quarter one, quarter two, and then maybe a couple shows throughout the summer where we're, you know, we're going to consumer trade shows and physically selling to, you know, to consumers, allowing them to touch and feel the product, um, see the people behind the brand and have some, you know, hands-on expo- hands exposure with not only the product, but also, you know, the branding um, behind the company. That's awesome. So the hands-on comes from the, the trade shows, things of that nature. How many of those do you go to a year? Um, this year we haven't gone to very many. I, I think that we've only gone to three three shows this year, uh, which we have two more on the docket. Um, earlier, you know, as we were trying to scale and, you know, grow our brand awareness and kind of gain some of that, a small piece of the pie or market share, we were going to anywhere from 14 to 18, 18 shows um, a year. So, wow. you know, typ- typically those shows are three or four days long, plus, you know, a day or two travel. Uh, every, you know, there is a, the, the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg at the beginning of February is actually nine days long. And it's, you know, by the time you get there, set up, tear down, travel time, it's almost a two-week endeavor. So it's a lot of time, uh, it's a lot of time away from the family. Yeah, it is. That's, um, it's quite a commitment too. Like <laughs> I was, uh, I was at, I, I stopped by the, we had a trade show here in Madison, Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago yeah. and um, I made sure to wear my Crocs. You know, people are like making fun of me. I'm like, bro, if you're going to go to a trade show, you better have some comfortable freaking shoes. You're going to be standing all damn day. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you, if how your crock game is when you go to these shows, but that's got to be, that's got to be your, in your arsenal. That's, that's funny, man. That's a, that's a good tip for anyone. I know uh, every year before Harrisburg, like I said, it's nine or, nine or 10 days long. Every year I'm buying a new pair of running shoes, like new pair of Nikes, new pair of Under Armour running shoes, just because I know I'm going to be on my feet for, whatever, 12 hours a day, 10 days, 10 days straight. Um, yeah, you can't marathon, sit down because so. then you're going to look like you're gaffing off. Like you, you want to be engaged with the people <laughs> that are coming by to check out your product. You know, you got to be standing on your feet to show it off. Absolutely, man. There's a lot behind sales psychology, especially, uh, especially when it's in person uh, with the people buying your product. So there's a lot to it. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. 
direct to consumer only. I love it. It makes a lot of sense. If you want to get your hands on the product, do you guys list the trade shows that you do go to on your site so people know when and how they can like, you know, if they want to experience this thing um, and some of the models that you have, do people know when they can, like do people typically know when they can kind of get at one of those events? Yeah. So it's usually at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of quarter one, um, after the ATA show, we usually list that on one or on, I guess on all of our social channels, uh, Facebook, Instagram. And then we also um, send that out via our newsletter. So we have a, we've built a giant email list. Um, it's been a very, very valuable asset, uh, you know, that we try to utilize to the best of our ability without spamming people. Um, so we, you know, we're always, uh, uh, we're always leveraging value there. So there's always, um, always updates, show schedules, product info, tips, insights, things of that nature where uh, people can people can kind of stay engaged with our brand. That's awesome. Um, the, the reason, so going back to my initial kind of question that I, I asked the question, then I asked like 10 other questions. It's how I roll, I guess. But the, the whole, the whole warranty thing is super fascinating. Mm -hmm. I spent some time reading about it. Um, now I'll let you kind of un unravel it, and then if if you want along the way, hit up how you address and deal with theft because that is the biggest blocker for me as a public land hunter to purchase anything because I'm so freaked out about it getting stolen in the woods because they're not cheap. So right. I'll let you take the show there. Yeah, you know the warranty is a big deal for a lot of people, and obviously it's a it's a big draw for. I don't want to say that's what we're known for because I think there's more depth to our brand than just the warranty, but it's obviously the first thing that catches people's attention because no one else is doing it or we're the first to do it. Um, over the last few years, you've seen other manufacturers kind of follow. I don't want to say follow in our footsteps, but there is now another trail camera company that has a five-year warranty and some of the larger players in the market have taken notice to what we've done and are extending their warranties as well. So it's kind of cool on that note, just to see a little tiny speck of sand on the beach, if you will, this little tiny trail camera company from Ohio, <laughs> almost changing the industry um, on, on, the, on that end of things. Um, but to touch on the, to touch on the actual service of the product, um, kind of before we dive into the, uh, the theft side of things, we're one of only two trail, trail camera companies that physically work in service cameras on the physical product. So, in an event that a camera does fail inside of five years, um, which happens, there's no, you know, there's no way around it, regardless of how well it's engineered or how well it's designed, you're going, you're going to have failures. Um, it's just, it's just part of the game. Um, we typically send an issue an RMA label, which comes with a prepaid shipping label that, 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 um, the customer will send that camera back. And with a matter of three or four days, we will have that tested, diagnosed, diagnosed, repaired, or replaced and sent back to them um, in just a, in just a couple of days. So that's you know, with that warranty, the product service um, means a lot for a lot of people. So just want to touch on that real quick. But on the on the theft side of things, you know, we looked at the marketplace and as consumers of buying these products for almost ten years, we've had we've, I had cameras stolen. I had cameras that were vandalized by you know, trespassers shot with shotguns beat up by a bear or, or ripped off a tree by a coon or just dumb, stupid stuff that would happen. And all these other companies saw that as a, 
sales opportunity because they knew it was a valuable asset. It was a tool huh. for a whitetail hunter in their arsenal. And you, we've almost became a little bit too dependent on them. So they saw that as a sales opportunity because they know you're going to come back and buy another one. Where we look at it, being direct-to-consumer, we can offer a replacement for that stolen product or that product that was chewed up by a bear or a product that was ran over by your truck or whatever the heck happened to it. We offer that a cost to drive depths inside of our customer base, creating a longer, higher um, lifetime value of that customer. And yep. it's, it's, you know, it's not, again, it's not rocket science. It's just about people and it's about taking care of people, taking care of the people that, you know, that, that buy our product. Um, you know, that policy, again, gains us a lot of attention and people are always amazed of how we do it, but it's really pretty darn simple. Um, you know, we have a tracking system that we use internally where products registered and we know who has it, who owns it, where it is, you know, all of that. Obviously there's a, there's, there's a, there's a method behind the madness, but the actual, how it works is, is, is pretty simple and it's well received and respected by, you know, a large vast of our, uh, the vast majority of our, of our customer base. Well, you you said something really interesting there. Like people wonder how we do it, et cetera, et cetera. And there's you know there's probably some technology that you throw at that, and some processes and procedures, and and some man labor. But at the end of the day, yep. doing the right thing is pretty easy, right? Like just simply stating like we're doing the right thing because the right thing is always the right thing. Like that's you are doing the right thing. You've taken the predation out of that industry, and that's that's increased flipped it on its head. You know that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's uh. It's all, it's, you know, it's, again, it's very simple. It's about intent. You know, what is, what, what's the in, intentions of, what, what's the intention behind the brand? And ours, it's very simple. It's about taking care of the people who buy our products because those people keep our lights on and feed our families. It's very, very simple. Yeah, super simple. Well, cool. Let's, let's switch gears then. You know, we got um, some time. We're going to go till, till 8 p.m. Um, you know, let's talk about the product and how it's engineered maybe not, not like super deep, but just in general, like what sets the actual product apart from some of the other ones on the market, other than the fact that you're beating people up like crazy on price by being um, direct to consumer, right. And cutting out the middleman, so to speak. And then in addition to that, the warranty stuff has got to build a ton of brand loyalty because you're doing the right thing. Let's talk about what makes these cameras tick or take pictures or, or whatever, whatever you want to say. There. <laughs> um, yeah, there's uh, you know, there's a there's a lot that goes into even just building a regular SD card camera. There's a lot of technology, and quite frankly, um, there's not a lot of people that really understand how they work on a high level, and and oh, rightfully so. Not a lot of people want to know. Um, but when you're building these things, um, obviously it's a necessity, and the longevity side of things, a lot of it comes down to um, the different types of components that we buy. Uh, again, going back to that business model, we're able to spend a little more money on components um, that have a longer shelf life, longer lifespan, uh, and yep. not build these things with an ob obsolescence mindset where you're putting hardware in that you know is only going to last 12 months or 24 months. Um, you know, we're able to, again, we're able to use some stuff used in the automotive industry in the medical field, and couple that with different conformal coatings uh, on our PCB boards that in case there were moisture ingress or anything of that nature, the actual product is protected and 
the mounting and the design of the actual board allows us to do physical repairs, which again, you're going to have failures. There's no way around it. But being able to service that product um, sometimes is a difference between, you know, having to spend $100 uh, replacing, a, you know, a cost of goods versus, you know, maybe a 10 or $15 fix on just labor and, you know, a, a $10 component. So the service side of things does come into uh does come into play there and then of course for people who are familiar and have felt our products um they're noticeably different in how they and how they lock up how they how the, the case is designed how it seals how it's closed so while we you know go through the standard um the ip68 testing process which makes it water and dust resistant all that you know all that good stuff um we use a different type of seal with a double latch and a horizontal hinge, which is no one else in the industry uses a horizontal hinge. Sounds like a submarine a door, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, kind of, yeah. What is, again, just looking at things very simplistically, when, when you have a vertical hinge and a locking latch on one side, um, through running cameras over 10 years, you notice a considerably less amount of pressure around that O-ring or around that seal, whatever's in that camera, on one side. And it was always on the side where the latch was, where the most pressure was applied. So just using very common um, common and simple, I guess, engineering, um, you know, we were able to solve, and I don't want to say eliminate moisture ingress, but we were able to vast, vastly reduce it and then coupled with our conformal coatings that we use on those on the PCB boards. Um, if there is any moisture, then, you know, the majority of the time that camera will still work. In fact, just last week on my Facebook page, I posted a, uh, on my personal page, I, a customer had sent in a video, I think it was a Lift 2, of a Lift 2 model that was under, I don't know, four or five feet of water, and this thing was still taking videos. Oh, my God, shut up, really? Yeah, and, and that's... Again, Again, is that going to happen every time? No. Cameras are going to get flooded out. Some of them aren't going to. Some of them will fail. Some of them will get burned up. Um, but the odds are a lot better with our product um, than some of the competition. Yeah. And, like, you said there's one there's one company made that, that's kind of doing things um, insofar, insofar as, like, the warranty is concerned. Do you, who, who would you classify? Maybe not say names, but are there competitors that, like, who would you – at what caliber of trail cam do you – do you qualify yourself at in terms of like maybe maybe price point because you guys are less expensive due to the, the direct uh, to consumer model. Um, but that being said, if that weren't the case, who would I see you next to on the shelves at like a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shops or something to that effect? Um, you know, I, it's hard to. I don't like to personally put our brand and pin or say that we're equivalent to another brand. I would rather have a good. Consumer no, that's consumer a great answer. That, but yeah, yeah. But. Um, so a lot of people do repairs to Reconyx. Uh We are a higher-end quality manufactured product, which Reconyx has, for, the, for a while, were, they were the pinnacle. And when people think about high-end trail cameras, that's typically the first brand that's rattled off their tongue. Um, so you could say we are comparable to Reconyx. Um, there are some aspects that Reconyx has us beat. And Reconyx is a great company, U.S.-based. They take care of their products. They service their products. They're the other company that physically works on their products. Great customer service. But for a lot of people, they can't afford to spend $500 in a camera. Um, and really, yeah. that was 
that brand was one of the reasons that kind of pushed us towards that consumer direct model. Um, but any really, you know, the trail camera marketplace is pretty darn big and it's very, very saturated. There's a lot of players, um, a lot of players in the game. And a lot of these companies are, you know, they hit multiple price points. They'll make a $50 camera and they'll make a $250 camera. Um, so a lot of times you can take our models, um, depending on which one it is and compare it to a lot of these other brands, their upper end, upper echelon cameras. And it's going to be, you know, specification wise, it's going to be a little bit similar. Um, you know, we market our products a little bit different. Uh, a lot of times you'll see other companies push some of these made up marketing terms that really don't hold any weight or hold any value. They're just trying to sell the newest, greatest, latest thing, uh, kind of using rebranded words, which is a, is a turnoff <laughs> from us, for us, you know, marketers ruin, marketers uh, ruin everything, man. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, I'm just trying to get a feel for kind of what you guys have on the market and, and how it can speak to some of the people. You guys have a couple, couple different models. You know, I, I've been kind of going back and forth toggling between like the, you know, the camera on my, on my screen versus like actually casting the, the screen itself. Um, and you have, from what I can tell, three primary models, uh, the, the Exodus lift two trail camera and then the Trek trail and then the Exodus rendering 4G LTE, which yep. 5G is a whole other topic and that's coming down the, the bandwagon. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that changes everything, uh, let alone trail cam yep. cameras, but let's, um, maybe spend a little bit of time talking about the differences, the models that you guys have and, and what features and benefits people can expect to get and, you know, you know, maybe what their use cases are, are good for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll just start at the, I guess this, we'll start at the bottom and talk uh, about our lowest price point camera, the Exodus Trek. Um, very, very basic, simple camera. It's a camera that, you know, going through the design process, I was really turned off by um, because we had built two cameras that were kind of category leading in certain, uh, certain aspects. And then the Trek was a very basic camera, uh, 0.7 second trigger speed, uh, about 20,000 images on a set of batteries, uh, 720p video at 30 frames, 10, 1080s only at 15 frames. It's a two megapixel image sensor. So it was almost, um, I don't want to say a step backwards, but we weren't trying to break any barriers um, with that model. But it has turned out to be not only our best-selling product, but also our most reliable. Um, the failure rate, we've been selling these things for about 15 months and we are under a 1.5% failure rate on, you know, thousands of units um, sold over the last, last year or so. So um, it's an economically priced product where people can buy 10 of them versus, you know, buying a list two and only being able to buy four or, or, or whatnot. So for guys that want to run a lot of cameras, this has been the product that they've chosen to buy and design wise, we build our products around different types of scenarios. We look at static environments and dynamic environments. And we classify static environments as any area where you can dictate and control to the best of your ability deer movement and know that they're going to be uh, in a certain proximity to your camera and uh, spend an allotted amount of time in front of that camera. So that sounds a little bit complicated, but 
when guys are running cameras on feeders for inventory purposes, when they're running cameras on mineral sites, when they're running cameras uh, maybe on a scrape, those are the static environments where you can control and alter deer movement, keep them in a certain range of your camera, and you know also in a, a lot amount of time. So that the the trek is designed and excels in, in a static environment like that. Whereas the lift two is more of a dynamic environment camera, um, a 0.3 second trigger speed, a one second recovery time, actually less than one second for photo and video. Uh, beautiful 1080p 30 frame video uh, has all the bells and whistles um, two inch viewing screen that you can actually view your photos and use it to you know line that camera up a little bit better battery life you get about 25,000 images uh, on a set of lithiums with that camera and uh, yeah I mean it just has just a little more feature rich more options um, a little bit easier to to customize because of that two inch screen um, and again that is a camera that a lot of guys that are are using that solely for video, just because the quality both day and night is so is so vibrant, so and it looks so pretty. But also, it allows you to just gather a little bit more information, um, maybe on a specific animal, how they're, which direction they're actually traveling, how they're acting, what their you know what their demeanor is when they're coming in and working a scrape or you know hitting that food plot or whatnot. So. Um, so static environments to trek, dynamic environments to lift two, and then this year, uh, the new product that we released was the Exodus Render, which, as you mentioned, was a uh, Verizon certified 4G device uh, built with a mobile application and desktop portal uh, that was created by a company wow. called Scout Tech. Um, so you have complete control through OTA functions of that device from your phone. It was built off the same chipset, same image sensor, processor, all that good stuff as the Lift 2. So a lot of the features and uh, feel of the render is very similar to the Lift 2. It's basically just sending you, you know, photos and videos um, straight to your straight to your phone. Which so is a deer hunter's freaking wet dream, the fact that you don't have – like, don't get me wrong, I'm sure we all love going out to the woods to check trail cameras, but having the ability to not – to to not have to disrupt that hunting area and trek in and trek out and trek in and trek out and be going back out there. It's a game changer for some people, man. That's a big deal. And because you guys are less expensive than most competition, even in this space, um, that's a, that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we, we started that project in 2017. So we've been at it for a while. Um, we've taken our time on it, done things right on the mobile app side, because that is what, really is the most intuitive and really what the customers have the most experience with after they set their camera up. It's how they interact with that product on their phone or, or web portal, how they're able to customize, you know, their settings from their phones, how they can view, how much data they've used, um, how much battery life is left, how much SD card space is left, um, you know, change your settings, request status reports. I mean, um, there's a, it's a complicated product but it's a very polished product um, because, it, you know, we, we, we took our time on it. And because we were able to, you know, being consumer direct, again, going back to the business model, able to use a CAT4 module in that on Verizon's 4G network. Uh, right now, as far as I know, we have the fastest transmission speeds available in the marketplace. So within 25 seconds, that camera taking the photo, it's sent to your phone. Holy shit. 
I mean, that's I mean, that's real time. I mean, it doesn't it, it could probably get better with a 5G environment, blah, blah, blah. But that's about as real time right. as it could possibly need to be at this moment in time. That's crazy. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's so the, the old deal joke of if a tree falls in the wood, is someone going to hear? You can probably actually answer that question. With your <laughs> <drill cam>. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Like there's a parody video there that that you could you could create. I don't know. That's kind of funny, yeah. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll take you up on that idea and uh, use it in our next marketing campaign. Right. <laughs> the question that no one's been able to answer since the beginning of time with our technology, we know the answer. <laughs> Click here to find out the truth. Yeah, whatever. That's funny. That's powerful stuff, though. That's a big deal. And the fact that, like, you, you know, people say things in the business community. You know, I work for a tech company, so I hear all of this stuff, man, and, and lift and shift and cloud first and mobile this and blah, blah, blah. And, and mobile first is a, is a there's a real initiative that actually goes into that buzz term. And there's a there's yep. a right and a wrong way to get it right and to really focus on it. And it sounds like that's where you put your effort into. And that's going to set you apart um, in a major way for anyone that's not doing that. Or if that's not their focus, you know, you're going to become the category king if you haven't already. Um yeah, there's powerful. been there's been a lot of hype around that product. I know there's been a lot of people waiting on it, but to speak to your point, that's exactly what our focus was. We've seen all these companies bring products to market, and the physical product, while it worked, they're using generic kind of white-labeled um, mobile applications to control them, and really they miss the entire point of what the product actually is and how people use it. Um, so, yeah, from the beginning – we know that we're a product company. We're not a software company. I am not a coder. I don't have any plans to be a coder. So being able to go to work and partner with a company that strictly does software um, was a giant help for us. Um, not only that, but also on the maintenance side of things. If you're if if you're in uh, if you're in technology, you know the maintenance cost and resources, whether that's you know money or manpower, I guess to you know, keep up with um, iOS versions and Android versions and to go back in and, and tweak tweak this or tweak that and make updates. Uh, a lot of companies that are trying to do that all under one roof, just they cannot keep pace uh, with a physical product and uh, and a mobile software. So I think it's um, two separate companies. It really is. You, you've, you've hit right. the nail on the head there. And the fact that you guys are right. addressing it the way you are, like just in this conversation with you, I don't need to know much about your products to to be a 110% believer and I have full buy-in to what you guys are doing. I'm not even sure I want to hear what anybody else is doing because I could probably not care that much. You're you're doing the right things by the by the customer. You're just taking care of them. You're even you're not even asking any questions. Look, it was stolen, boom. You get if it's registered, if it's a registered product, you get one you get one opportunity to claim that as attacked by a bear stolen, shot, whatever, we got your back. You're good right. to go. The next one, what, 50% off? Is that how it works? That's it. You got it, 100%. It's just beautiful, man. It's just a beautiful thing. And then, boom, hey, tell you what, we're going to give it to you at a price that no one else can really beat. And maybe that's true today and that'll change in the future. You, your, your intent is in the right place, as you had mentioned. And then you're doing things on the technology front um, that that are aligned with people's behaviors in a 2019, 2020 world where, dude, no one's, Look, if I have to like go, here's the thing. I'm a busy guy. I got a, I got a child. We got one on the way. I do this podcast. I have an app. I work full time. I do I do all these things. And hunting is like you know my lifeblood. It's 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 in my bones. But if I can take 
marching out to the woods to go get an SD card to bring, you know, and I know there's ways to check that on your phone now. Like I have a, a, a promo code on here for a common hunter, by the way, if you're, if you're doing things that way and you're going to plop in an SD card, 15% off that common hunter is going to get you something great to, to view that on your phone in the field. But to skip all of that and just get it over a cell network from Verizon, which they are the best. Someone could argue with me on, on that if they'd like to, but there's no argument. Um, <laughs> you're making everything so damn easy. And then the interface is so intuitive from everything you're telling me that because you focus on it that way and you've realized that that's not what you guys do, you're focusing on the product. So what you're not, you're not divesting yourselves into two different areas and spreading yourself too thin. I mean, you guys are just killing it, man. I mean, if, yeah, if the people that are watching, which, you know, for whatever reason, it's a lower, lower live viewing session, um, that's fine. We, we, we come this into podcast form next. So it'll live evergreen. Um, the people that hear this episode, they ought to be believers, and if not, they, they need to really start considering you as, as a contender to anything else that they're using to add to their arsenal. Well, we appreciate the kind words, man. It, um, I can help myself. I, I don't even, you know, you're just speaking my language. <laughs> well, again, it's, you know, a, a lot of us are, you know, we share a common passion, um, and obviously – with that passion, a lot of us have a similar thought process, and regardless of what that, um, where those thoughts take us, uh, a lot of our views align, and it was just a matter of us kind of following our, our love for cameras, figuring out, solving that longevity problem through the business model, and, um, you know, keeping those, and just staying true to the path, staying true to the course, saying, you know, doing what we were going, doing what we were saying we were going to do, and uh, just kind of keeping our feet on the ground, um, you know, it's, it's, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not all glitz and glamour. There's a, there's a crap ton oh, of labor, yeah. a lot of work, long, long hours. Um, but at Prejo, the end of the day, Crocs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, at the, at the end of the day, that's it. That's pretty rad. That's pretty rad. Um, you know, one one thing I do here on the show is uh, I do ask, do, do you hunt public land or do you hunt private land? Well, I grew up, that's a good question. I grew up hunting private ground. Um, grew up in a family of hunters, kind of recreational hunters, more so than serious, uh, serious whitetail guys. You know, the traditional thing was during gun week, you know, everyone would take the first couple of days off work. Kids would take a couple of days off school. We would all shotgun hunt or party hunt, um, and that was kind of it, you know. And if someone didn't fill a tag, they'd go back out during muzzleloader season. Um, and I kind of got bored with that. I uh, at 16, I killed a Boone and Crockett caliber deer. Um, okay. And in Ohio, kind of lit me on, in Ohio, um, and it just lit me on fire to try to replicate that process. Um, so at the following year, at 17, was my first year archery hunting. And it took me 10 years before I killed another deer like that off that farm. But then at uh, 28 or 29, I took a trip out west and with my grandfather to hunt, do a DIY elk hunt on public ground and fell in love with like the adventure style, the vast landscapes, just being in places that made me feel like I was wild. Like it took me back, you know, 100 years where, where people, you know, where men were men. Uh, so to speak. And I came back and hunted that farm that whitetail season and I could hear, you know, tractors start up at the barn and I could see the 
barn light come on and dogs bark. And I was just like sitting in a tree stand thinking, what the heck am I doing here? Like, you know, this three, two months ago, I was, I was in, you know, I was in Colorado in the Rockies and uh, hundreds of thousands of acres where I could go anywhere I want. Like, it's just, just, I don't know. There has to be more. I got to be able to hunt whitetails like that. So the following year, um, I ventured to the southern part of the state and started chasing whitetails on whatever 60,000 60, 60, plus acres of, uh, of kind of big woods timber country uh, in the foothills of the Appalachians, and have been doing that cool, man. pretty much ever since. That's incredible. So, so okay. As the are you are you the owner, co-founder, founder of Exodus? I don't want to get it wrong. Both co-founder and co-owner. Got it. So, as the co-founder, co-owner of a awesome trail cam company, how are you using your trail cams for success on public property um, in the Appalachian Trail area? Like, what does that look like for you? What setup are you running? Um, coming from the man. Well, um, I am running a lot of cameras, number one. Obviously, I have my disposal. <laughs> um, but the scary thing is when you're running a lot of cameras like that, um, I've spent my time trying to hunt specific deer, specific big woods deer on, on those large tracks, which is nearly impossible. It took me a couple of years to kind of figure it out, um, and it correlates back to annual data around the rut. So creating data logs on specific deer in specific areas. It's not always on the same camera, but typically, you know, within a couple, a couple of ridges, uh, a lot of times it will be on the same camera. But what I, what we saw was that these mature deer would be in the same place at nearly the same time the following year, assuming, you know, all outside influences were equal. So pressure, uh, habitat, food sources, things of that nature. And, it's almost scary how precise that is. I know a lot of people may think that that's kind of nonsense or hearsay or it sounds crazy, um, but we've seen it year over year over year with not one deer, but multiple, not every deer, but the vast majority of the four and five, six-year-old deer that we followed have followed for, you know, more than more than one year, two years. Um, we see that pattern, and that's typically – how I'm now how I'm now using my cameras. I will let my cameras. I'll set them up in correlation to doe bedding areas, um, you know, terrain features like benches and saddles, um, pinch points, funnels, and earlier in the season, I will I will run them on what I think are buck beds in hill country, so that upper one third on points, um, wherever I can find them, and use the data from the previous year in my hunting. Uh, in the existing season. So I'll leave my cameras out. I leave them out 365. I never pull them. Wow. Um, just put batteries and SD cards in them and I let them run. How many, how, okay. So I got to ask because you have them at your disposable or at your disposal. Um, how many are you running? Do you feel comfortable telling us? Um, I am over, I'm over 50 plus cameras down there uh, on that specific <laughs> track. Um, somewhere between 75 and 100 total. What do you do with all the data? Like, are you, how are you, how are you controlling that? Like, I know I've heard of things like Deer Lab. Um, I think there's others like that. Um, Hunter Site is one that I think is starting to do some things like that. 
are you using any third-party software to analyze the the data of that that much input coming in? Yes. So typically, what I will do, um, you know, I'm not out there obviously every week checking cards. It's nearly impossible. Um, the right. Yeah. Do I where they are? Yeah. I'm, well, Onyx Onyx Maps is a is a, is a giant help. Yeah. If you were to look at my uh, screen on my phone, there's nothing but red pins everywhere. But um, yeah, I, to answer your question, I am using third-party software. We do use do use Deer Lab. We've been using it for three three plus years now. It's a giant help uh, to organize that data. But at the same time, I also have just folders on my desktop um, with specific deer profiles, um, and then also I, I need to take better notes. That's something that has kind of been on my agenda for this year, just to carry a journal um, to log some things log some things in, but the specific thing, like when you're looking at, you know, guys get caught up in when they pull their, pull their SD cards and they're going through their photos and they get a picture of a big deer, everyone gets amazed and they get all fired up and they forget to ask themselves the why, where, and how that deer got there. So there's a few specific questions that we, when I look at a picture, I'm asking myself, okay, where is he coming from? Where is he going? Why is he there? Is it, was there outside influences? Was it pressure? Was it human intrusion? Was could it have been a coyote? Is it a natural movement? Uh, what was the wind doing? What's barometric pressure? What's you know all of it? Take in all of it, um, and then try to correlate some type of some type of pattern. Now, Deer Lab is a great tool for that, and, and like you said, there's multiple third-party software applications out there now. Um, so that is that is a part of it. But most guys, when they're using that kind of tactic typically um you know guys are only they have two maybe two weeks vacation or maybe even one week or whatever and they're trying to focus their efforts or efforts around the rut so with specific rut data we're looking even at does as in how they're acting in front of the camera you know are they are they pushing off their uh, off their fawns are they by themselves is their tail tucked if it's on a scrape how are those deer interacting with a scrape and a licking branch um all of that. So there's there's no shoebox answer, I don't think, for any of it. Um, but just to ask yourselves the specific questions to try and understand why the deer is in front of the camera, um, you know, and where he originated from and where the destination is, those few things will kind of allow you to take your trail camera strategies, I guess, and how you're gathering or what you're getting from that data kind of to the next level. That's a great answer to all of that, the, the, the asking yourself that question, where are they going? Why are they there? Where'd they come from in whatever order that looks like? Um, cause if you see something, yeah, that's it. I would just go to straight excitement and enthusiasm and be like, Holy shit, <laughs> you know, and then sharing on social, right? Like, Oh my God, yeah, look at this right? guy. You know, can't wait to get this guy this year. And on public land, that's totally different because obviously, you know, he's fair game for anybody. Um, and maybe you wouldn't share any of that information. Um, you know, I, I was out on, on pr- public access to private property for last year's season here in Wisconsin through a draw program to some con- some conservancy property. And there were a number of trail cams that I ran into. I think I hit like eight of them. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because it's, you know, it's private property, but there's public access. So there's a different set of rules on that type of scenario. You want to play nice and do well and, and follow rules and things of that nature. Um, so you can have an opportunity to be on that land again. It was a super hot, 
thought of, of land. Um, I saw more buck activity there than in, in my entire history of hunting. Um, it was incredible. And to say that knowing that I avoided eight trail cameras and, and eight other hunters, you know, made me feel really good. It affirmed some of the things I've been learning over the past couple of years. But yeah, how many, how many pictures do you get with those 75 trail cams running of other hunters? Like what's the weirdest thing you've caught or that you've seen from some of your audience um, or like client base? Um, I mean, we've, yeah, we've seen some weird stuff from, from our, from our customers, just user submitted <laughs> stuff. They send us on, uh, on Facebook and whatnot. Personally, I'm in a, that area is, it's a little bit strange. It's very rugged terrain. Not what you would think of when you think of Ohio, very short ridges, very steep hills. Um, and not a lot of walk-in access or, or, or trailheads, uh, road access, anything like that. And the deer density is super low. I mean, like 1.3, 1.4 deer per square mile. So okay. there's not a lot of guys going in there to hunt um, unless they're pretty darn serious. Because the one thing that it does offer is a, I mean, out of the, out of the world age structure. Um, I don't know that there's, for people who are chasing Boone and Crockett type deer, um, I'm not sure there's a better piece of public, um, probably any, anywhere outside of Iowa, maybe. So that's, you know, the age structure and the caliber of deer is, is, is what brings me there. Um, you know, if you want to kill those kind of deer, you have to go where they are. Um, so occasionally we will get people on, on camera walking in. Um, but typically it's not more than a quarter mile, maybe, maybe a half mile. Uh, off a off a parking area or off a trail. Um, okay. The one so thing, nothing, nothing too no, ridiculous not, or weird. Yeah. No, it's uh, again not it's not a super high pressure area because there's not a lot of deer. Um, in fact, I've I've spent an entire week there during the rut and had you know laid my eyes on one 120 inch buck for seven days. So it's a uh, it's an area that takes extreme mental discipline to to hunt because you will second guess yourself. You know whether or not you're screwing up, did I bump deer in the way in? Is the wind wrong? Is it swirling? Is it doing, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things you could beat yourself up mentally because you could be doing technical glitch. I don't know what happened, but my call platform just dropped. So uh, thanks for calling back into it. I'm just going to kick it back live here real quick, man. Technology is bitten me hard today. <laughs> Holy cow. You're, sure you're the best guest, dude. You've been, you've been so calm and casual about the whole freaking thing so thank you so much for just being awesome no worries man i appreciate it. it's fun i think we're back live let me double check we got one viewer on here um i'm going to check on my phone just to be 100 percent positive because that's going to give me a real actual glimpse of it <sighs> you were right in the midst of talking about like the foothills of the appalachian trail Yeah, I mean, um, Backwards. I was rambling there. For, I was rambling there for a little bit about the, uh, the big woods of Ohio public land. Um, I think we were talking about about pressure and, and what we were seeing yeah. there from, from foot traffic. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a low deer density area, so there's not you know there is some pressure, but the people that we run into down there, which I have run into some people in the woods, um, they're typically the guys. Um, that are pretty darn serious and are there, you know, to hunt that kind of 
certain caliber of deer um, and they're willing to put the work in and they're very courteous of cameras or hunting locations and for the most part pretty pretty darn good people so um yeah it's it's a little bit different i know everyone has a, kind of their horror stories of hunting public ground and running into people and whatnot but you know it's hard to get frustrated when that happens because at the end of the day it's everyone's resource it's it's mine as as much as it is yours and you have as much right to be there as i do so um we kind of our, our outlook on it is we we welcome other hunters dude you you couldn't have been i don't know for cut from the same cloth or something but that that is my mantra like public land is a privilege that's a whole topic in and of itself and i've i've gone on many rants on this on this soapbox um thank you for for sharing that sentiment that is um that is a big deal um for for me and i think hopefully the audience as well but public land is a privilege and and having a a mindset of i think one of my favorite quotes is perpetual optimism is a force multiplier like just being a positive Absolutely. human being goes a very long distance and it it does a lot to actually change your outcome of what you can expect out of life and and then if you apply that to hunting again you're going to get a different outcome if you were to be a negative nancy about it and say well you know this guy was in my spot on public property um you know I get it, but you're I don't. You're a hundred percent right, man. It's uh that always you know, that that line, like, oh that guy was in my spot, like that just cracks me up because it's not it's not an individual's land. It's all like I like we you know, both agreed, it's everyone's resource. That guy has as much right to be there as anyone else and and you should support him for being there because at the end of the day, um, you know, we as hunters are segmenting ourselves and um, putting ourselves in a difficult, soon to be difficult situation with license sales declines and a shrinking marketplace and maybe some rights being, um, you know, taken away or being eroded. So it's, uh, I, I feel like it's an easy thing that we should all be uniform on. And for some reason, um, guys get bent out of shape about it and, and can't be uniform. And it's, it's a little, sometimes it is a little disheartening. It is. It, that's like I said, that's a whole nother topic, dude, but like there's, Hunt hunting likely won't ever get back to where it was. Um, that being said, the numbers are declining, and and you know we want to keep public lands available and accessible for the people that enjoy and and live for hunting, whether it's deer or anything, or just if you want to go and do something on public property, it could be morel mushroom hunting, um, whatever that is, mountain bike, who cares? But that land right. access is is a privilege, and if we don't start kind of as a, as a collective community of conservationists and hunters and outdoor enthusiasts or whatever it is, um, looking at it that way, it could go away. And that's a world that I, I just can't imagine, um, what that would look like. And I, I certainly don't want to live in that world. So, um, that's interesting. So next time you see someone on your trail, Kram, like just say, look at that guy. He's out on the land too. Good for him. This is great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a that's an extreme positive, but you know it's definitely a step in the right direction considering what we're up against. Because you know there's certain people that have an agenda to take it all away. Yep, hundred percent. Pretty real. It's pretty real. Anyway, um, so I, I like to end the show by and and not that you have to wrap it up quickly at all, but this is a signal that hey we're we're winding down. Um, one thing that I love to ask everybody is what is your most memorable hunt? And I ask memorable for a specific reason because I don't want to say successful. 
um, or things of that nature. What what was your most memorable hunt? And the why should become clear in the story. And hopefully it's a well, good one. Think... <laughs> um, well, you know, it, for me, it, it goes back to my first buck harvest. Um, and that is, you know, me being 16 years old, uh, actually first deer harvest. So I, you know, started hunting at 13, like every other family men, member. Um, and that was kind of our graduation, I guess, kind of acceptance in the manhood. So it was something that we all like as 11 and 12 year olds, we all wanted to go deer hunting, but it was kind of, I can't remember if it was state regulated or not, but 13 was the age where, you know, you could go take your under safety course, uh, and you kind of graduate in the, in the shotgun season. Um, yep. so it was something we always look forward to as a youth, like being accepted into, you know, the group of, group of men in our family, the, the uncles, the grandfathers, dads, whatever. But, um, you know, up to that point, I had not killed a deer. I missed, missed a bunch of deer, screwed a lot of stuff up, you know, as we all do. But, uh, on that last Saturday of that season, um, well, I guess let me back up a little bit. We were never, um, allowed really to do a lot of deer pushes and, and drives and, and a bunch of party hunting with our family on that home farm. My grandfather was very adamant that, you know, you should pursue game in their kind of natural movement and you should, uh, challenge yourself as a woodsman and grow your skill set to, you know, kind of kill deer on their terms. Um, and I can always remember going to school and talking to all my friends and, you know, they're all killing deer and they're, they're, they're party hunting and putting these drives on and they all come back with pictures and all these stories. And I'm over here, I was 14, 15, haven't killed deer yet, kind of bummed out, always wanted to go hunt with those guys, not knowing what my grandfather was really trying to instill in me. Um, so fast forward to whenever that was, 99, 2098, uh, as a 16-year-old, it was the last Saturday of the season. Um, Sunday hunting actually wasn't open then. And I can remember coming in for lunch and getting, talking to my, my two uncles and just begging them to put on just some kind of little push. And, um, you know, after lunch we went out and the three of us agreed we were going to just push this one section. Of course, well, they stuck me up on a old abandoned railroad bed that kind of bordered a swamp and a bunch of thick, um, a thick brush and kind of a, a, a cedar thicket that went out into an alfalfa field. And we circled around and started driving it from the north, uh, headed south. So I was on the very easternly side and my uncles were down in the woods and I'm up on this railroad bed. And we get down to the end, maybe the last 50 yards before we got to the edge of that alfalfa field. And um, I heard something just come crashing through the brush. So I stopped and outstepped 180, 177-inch, non-typical, just giant points everywhere. And I can remember just slowly, calming, calmingly telling myself, line, line the backside up with the front sight and, and squeeze the trigger. And I squeezed, <laughs> awesome. I squeezed one off. The most basic thing off. ever. That's awesome. Yeah, the, like super, super calm. I can, I can, it's, it's weird. I can remember it plain as day. So I squeezed that first shot off and the deer keeps running and I just, I had a pump, 870 pump. So boom, I rack another shell, squeeze another one off. And then it's like pure panic mode because in my mind I was envisioning like, okay, I'm going to shoot this deer. It's going to fall over and die. <laughs> and, <there's, laughs> and that was going to be it, you know? And uh, anyways, I, I racked another shelf, shot another, fired another shot. And this deer takes off, you know, he's still running. He's running across the field. Um, and I have no idea what to do. Uh, I, you know, I'm out of, I'm out of rounds in my gun now. 
So I'm digging through my little fanny pack, trying to load more shells, trying to look to see where the deer's going. And he's running across the field, kind of towards the road. And uh, I'm like, all right, let me go back and look for blood. So I go back to where I think I shot, and I'm, I'm looking for blood, and I can't find anything. Well, by that time, my two uncles obviously had heard me shot, so they came up to the riverbed and they're like, well, where is he? What happened? You know, and I'm telling him the story, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pointing across the field towards the road, and he's like, my uncle Mike, he's, he was like, well, let's try to find blood. Have you, have you found any blood yet? And I was like, no, I haven't found anything yet. I think this is where I shot him. So we're over there looking for, looking for blood, and I'm starting to like mosey, mosey out into the field a little bit, and I look across the road there, and there's some guy out the road like waving his arms, and I'm like, what the heck is, what the heck's going on? You know, and then he starts yelling, he's over here, he's over here. So I go get my uncle and we go spring across this field over to this road and very late in the ditch. He didn't even make it across the road. Maybe went, I don't know, 200, 200 yards, 250 yards, maybe was, a uh, uh, it was a mainframe, I guess, mainframe 10. He was at five on one side and, uh, 17 on the other side. So just a giant four-year-old non-typical deer ran right to the road and <laughs> fell over dead. I Went down to the farm, got my pickup truck, drove right up to the edge of the road, took uh, you know took the Griffin Grands or trophy photos, whatever you want to call it, as a 16 year old kid, um, and it was just it was just an unbelievable surreal moment, I guess. You know the entire entire road knew about it within an hour, and we're all coming down to the farm to see this giant deer some kid killed. Um, the newspaper got a hold of it and did a little article. Oh my god, dude, that's amazing. It was. Uh, yeah, it was it was, was kind of it was really really cool and um you know that's kind of a complete luck obviously fortunate um, right place right time and but that that was really the foundation of what got me into being obsessed with killing and chasing big deer uh, it, it kind of all, all all relates back to that and you know just looking back and I think uh, even though that was that situation was, you know, solely luck. You know, I look back in those years prior, not being successful uh, and learning woods, woods, woodsman skills um, at a young age from my grandfather and then picking up archery hunting, hunting the following year because I knew it was going to increase my odds to, to be able More to... More time in the woods, longer myself, season. Yep. Exactly. Being able to put myself uh, on, on bigger deer because there was no one else out there. Um, you know, that's, it, all, it all relates back to that, that, first, uh, that first harvest. That's a great story. That's a great story. Just the the way you start off by like hearing the crash, the crashing of him coming through the the marsh, the swamp area, dude. That's I thought I heard that several times two years ago, and I think it was just a muskrat. But every time I heard him jump in the water, I'm like, oh my god, here he comes! You know, like, that's what I was picturing as your story, and it never happened for me. But um, I will always think that story now. Anytime I hear anything like that, or it's some other hunter sloshing through, I'm like, oh come on! <laughs> so that's the, funny, man. The, the the swamp will play uh, weird tricks on your mind when you hear that water slushing around. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what is it? And then you got the cranes going by, making their weird sound. Yeah. Holy, yep. that's fun. That's a great. That's a great story. And the fact that you were able to just drive your truck over and grab them up. That's awesome. Oh, you must have been yeah. just in cheek to cheek on that for days oh it was yeah it was uh it was it was pretty surreal like like i said there's some 16 year old kid in a blaze orange coveralls jumpsuit with some just giant deer having no idea what he actually to this day it's still the biggest you know that 
I've killed some big deer, but that is still to the day the biggest deer I've ever I've ever harvested. Um, so it's yeah, just a crazy fortunate thing. And the funny thing is, my that night I remember going out to dinner and kind of celebrating as a family, and everyone was like, "Oh, you better just quit hunting now because you're never gonna kill a big one like that again. It's never gonna happen again. <laughs> yeah. You'll never do it. Might as well." We're all trying to do. So By rocking chair, yeah, it was, uh, it was. So I got, I got harassed a little bit on the back end too. It's all good. I, you know, that's fair. That's what I, I think most people do in that situation. <laughs> myself might be included in that. Um, well, let's wrap up with where people can find Exodus. It seems pretty obvious with a name like that. Do you have a, do you have a story behind the name? Yeah, we do actually. Um, so Exodus, you know, a lot of people think it's related to obviously a biblical um, book in the Bible. Uh, but it's the meaning of Exodus means mass departure. And when the idea of being, you know, being consumer direct, you know, obviously with the wave of e-com and servicing a product and servicing customers, we felt like there needed to be a company to shift the market as a mass movement um, in that direction. So that's, that's initially where the name Exodus came from. And the tagline that we use, Life's a Passion, Pursue It, is Brilliant. it's it's how we – I mean, I know this sounds cliche and kind of corny, but it is truly the way we live our life every day. That, that tagline is our corporate culture. It doesn't matter if we're answering the phone. It doesn't matter if we're answering emails, if we're in the gym, if we're in the woods. Like whatever it is, we're focused on the moment. And we're doing it with passion and we're doing it hard always. I like it a lot. It's a, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It stands out in the way that I think you intended it to. Um, wh- where do people, so is it, is it Exodus trailcams.com? Like what's the, what's the website just to be clear for yeah, everybody. The, web, the website is Exodus outdoor gear.com. Um, you can find us on social at Exodus trail cameras, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and then, um, YouTube channel, uh, Exodus Trail Cameras on YouTube, and yeah, yeah, you can find us in any of those uh, any of those avenues. Awesome, dude! Thanks so much for taking time, Chad, to to be on the show. Uh, if it were hunting season, I'd say thanks for taking time out of the woods, but thanks for taking time out of your busy day running a company to be on the the good old uh, Where to Hunt podcast out of Wisconsin. Um, very grateful that you took time to to hang out with us today, and we didn't get any callers. It looks like. But that's okay. That's how it goes sometimes. People are busy. Um, a couple of comments. So you might want to revisit that and, and respond to some of the people that were, were hanging out there. Um, but thanks so much, man. It, it's really great to learn about your product in, in an intimate way coming from the guy that created it. Yeah, man. I uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat. Uh, it's a great conversation. I love uh, love where your brain is and what you're doing. Um, so we're humbled by the invite. and. Um, yeah, it was a great, great conversation. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Tip of the week. Tip of the week. So the tip of the week this week is to roll with the punches. There's another tip, but I'm going to start with that one because if you noticed during the podcast, there was a technical problem. Um, I am blazing new trails here with how I'm doing this show and I uh, tried something new tonight to broadcast to both Facebook and YouTube simultaneously, and I think I caused a problem. So I didn't edit it out, 
intentionally because this is a real show. This is a real podcast. I don't edit things. I, you can hear my mouse clicking. You can see me bounce around the wrong screens every now and again if you're watching on the, on the live stream. I want to keep it real. Um, I'm not trying to cover anything up. So this is a very transparent podcast. When you get this podcast, you get Eric Clark and you get all of me in the sense that I goof shit up and I want to keep it real. So um, I left it in there intentionally. Podcasting isn't the easiest thing in the world. It can be pretty easy, relatively easy, but it comes with its gotchas. And and tonight we had a gotcha. So thanks for sticking it in there with me and, and hanging in and whatever, weathering the storm. I appreciate everyone, especially uh, Chad, our guest, for, for calling back into the line and everything like that. Um, save the day. Tip of the week is, is, is Chad's tip, which is um, the three questions to ask yourself when you see an animal um, that drops your draw drops your jaw on a trail cam. Try saying that 10 times fast. Where did it come from? Where is it going? And why is it there? I thought that was a pretty insightful thing coming from one of the guys that has created one of the best trail camera companies that I've heard of. Um, someone could argue something different if they'd like to, that's your opinion. Based on this episode alone, um, I don't see the need to buy any other trail cams. So tip of the week is to ask yourself those three questions when you have a deer that you've been dying to see on your trail cam show up. Take a second, take a deep breath, get a paper bag, quit hyperventilating, and um, reverse engineer where that deer came from, why he's there, and where he's going so you can increase your odds. Because unlike Chad, we all can't have 75 um, we could trail cams in the wood, but in the woods, but, um, you know, for, for the rest of us, maybe we don't have that many. Uh, I thought that was a, a really fun question. So hopefully y'all appreciated this, this episode today. Um, thanks for listening. I, I thank you all way too much because I really appreciate it. I'm humbled by it. It means a ton to me, your ratings and reviews. I've been seeing them come through on iTunes. So that's awesome no no real constructive feedback there just yet so if there is any i will certainly try my best to apply it and uh yeah thanks thanks so much everybody have a great day and hunt public